welcome. This is the podcast, Massage Therapy Now. I will be your host, Damien John. This podcast is sponsored by the Registered Massage Therapist Association of British Columbia. We'll use this venue to explore and share information that we see as relevant to massage therapists within BC and hopefully to other health professionals and individuals throughout British Columbia and the world. In this episode, we are interviewing Gordon McDonald, the Associate Director of the Registered Massage Therapists Association of BC, and we are exploring scope of practice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So I'm Damien John, and this is Massage Therapy Now. Today, our guest is Gordon McDonald. He is the Associate Director of the RMTBC, the Registered Massage Therapists Association in BC. Say hi, Gord. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning, good evening, whenever the podcast is being listened to. Uh, it's morning for us. Uh, do you have your coffee? Done. Done. We're good. Yeah, Gord's an early riser, so we're doing it nice and early this morning. Uh, I am going to ask Gordon a few questions about his role as associate director, and we're going to dive into the idea of scope of practice and where it sits as it relates to the profession. So we had a scope of practice meeting just a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. Is that right, Gordon? That's right. We had it on the 16th of March. Right. And it was to help define what scope is and bring it to the attention of massage therapists within BC and, and throughout the country because there's been some confusion as to what the definition is and how it plays out as a practicing massage therapist. So first, Gordon, uh, why don't you expand on what your role is as associate director of the RMTBC so everybody gets a sense of kind of who you are and and what you're doing professionally as it relates to the RMTBC. Sure. So my role here is to uh, is it's it's uh, a, a number a number of prongs. So one is to uh, work with uh, the executive director uh, Brenda Locke uh, in a support role. Um that's to uh, to say that uh, a lot of the operational day-to-day things that happen within the office uh, with the staff, those fall under my responsibility. Um, I'm also uh, backup for our practice advisor, uh, Allison Chernoff. Um, not so much on uh, the massage therapy questions, but more on the uh, issues related to uh, the bylaws and regulations that uh, that monitor the profession, and and the reason for that, of course, is my uh, in my previous life, I was the registrar of the College of Licensed uh, Practical Nurses of British Columbia. So, I'm well versed in the uh, regulatory world, if you like. Beyond that, of course, is um, is also working with the staff and with um, members of the uh, of the profession who can be uh, you know leads of the. Uh, advanced practice groups or uh, or others um, in respect to different projects that we have ongoing. So for instance, uh, coming up on May the 5th, we have our uh, aging population symposium in New Westminster. So we've been actively working on that. Um, we're planning on a number of road shows uh, coming up over the next uh, six months or so to get the word out based on that scope of practice meeting that you, Damien, spoke of earlier. Um, so, and the, and the reason for that, of course, is that we want to get uh, we want to get some insights from some of the other uh, areas of the province, particularly given that uh, you know depending upon where you practice, that can uh, 
that you can bring a different perspective as to um, you know what, what's going on within that scope and so on and so forth. And um, as I say, I, it's it's more of a supportive role here um, for the organization in general. And of course, uh, you know that's that's working with Brenda and the rest of the team. So. Right. So, associate director Brenda's director is is that correct? Yeah, she's the executive director. Executive director. Yeah. And so you were brought on in this role a little over a year ago. Is that correct? Uh, no, I've been here. Actually, I'm going into my second year, okay. second and a half, almost two and a half years now. So a little over two years, two or more than yeah. two years, two and two and a half. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> You've survived. <laughs> so, as an associate director of the RMTBC, just to fill that out a little bit more, what on your day to day basis are you dealing with the most? So I would say on a day to day basis is. Working with the staff, so that that involve you know that includes um, working with our systems people, making sure uh, things such as the database, how we collect the metrics for the organization. Um, we've done some substantive improvements on our data collection um, since I've come on board, and 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 the reason for that is I think it's important for uh, the membership of any organization to see that there's value being delivered for the. Uh, for the membership fees that they're paying. So, right. you know, and, and, I, and I think most people appreciate metrics for that. So, so there's the, that kind of piece. There's uh, uh, working with, uh, with Allison, our practice advisor, uh, in respect to identifying resources that can, uh, that uh, the members can use in, in their day-to-day practice uh, environments. So that can be uh, resource materials, uh, guidelines, things of that nature. Dealing with, uh, you know, what, probably one of, one of the more important issues is, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we probably receive upwards of 25 to 30 calls a day just on practice issues, most of them related to people's um, attempt to understand the bylaws and the regulations that the uh, regulator requires of them. Right. So uh, I would say I spend uh, a, a good portion of my day working with, with members uh, around that as well as you know from time to time we end up with uh, issues where uh, we have uh, conflict between uh, members or conflict between uh, between say a clinic owner and a, and a member and so uh, one of the things that we offer is a, is a mediation uh, process if people are interested in that because you know there's never any any good thing of having <clears throat> RMT on RMT. And so, uh, you know, we, we've, we've now begun to offer that in conjunction with, uh, with our legal counsel, Scott Nichols. Oh, that's cool. So you offer mediation for, for massage therapists who are having trouble with one another or with uh, anybody? Uh, with, with one another, okay. because, uh, you know, I mean, it's when we have a, a member on member issue, you know, that can, that can become quite uh, difficult and, uh, and so, you know, sometimes it's 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 uh, it's beneficial to have a, a you know an impartial body come in and just kind of talk to the parties and and come to some uh, some uh, common agreement. Right. So, you know, and, and a lot of times that happens, particularly around the issue of of uh, file retention and clinical records, mm-hmm. um, because there's there's some you know there's there's what I used to, what I like to refer to as the uh, RMT miss about uh, who who owns what right. and so uh, so so it's been helpful in in respect to being able to offer that service to to members when when it, when and if it's necessary yeah it's a really useful service i remember 
early in my career, I had all kinds of nonsense going on with my files and it related to, I was working with a, a chiropractor at the time. So how, how would a person get in touch with RMTBC around mediation? Yeah. So they can either, they can phone the office and, um, uh, either speak to Allison Chernoff, the, our practice advisor, or they can uh, call me and, uh, and we can set something up. Cool. And what's the turnaround on that usually time-wise? Um, usually we can do it, uh, within, uh, 24 hours of the call, as long as the two parties are, are able to meet, you know, we usually, what it is, is it, it, it you know, it usually takes a few days to, uh, to come to fruition because of course people are busy in their practice and it's, you know, you've got to get the two parties together. So we do it usually uh, over the phone. We, we arrange a teleconference, uh, and, and, and go from there. Okay. It's getting off track a little bit, but it's good, good information for all the, the BC ther- therapists out there. So getting back to the, the idea of scope of practice and, and you were saying that often phone calls that you get throughout the day are related to bylaws and, and the various ins and outs of how to work with those things. So scope relates to those pieces pretty intimately. Can you explain to me or explain to everybody out there what scope of practice is and why it's important to the profession to understand scope and, and, and maybe give us the Cole's notes version, the really simplistic version. And if you feel like it, give us a, a, if there is one, a more expansive version of what that is, that what scope of practice is from, from your perspective. Sure. And I, you know, one of the, one of the issues is that uh, the whole issue of scope of practice is one that um, is one that I think every profession struggles with and, and certainly individuals who are uh, involved in the profession struggle with that because um, it's uh, it there it's not a it's not a clear list of the things that one is able to do and I think some people um, have tried to simplify it to that to that extent of thinking that there's almost a skills list that you know these are the approved activities that I'm I'm able to do if we go if we go to the you know the origins of the scope of practice um you know there's a number of players that actually are responsible for the development of a scope of practice and that you know and that begins with government um you know from a legal perspective government are the overseers of of of, of all the scopes of practice um you know in, in in british columbia much like in ontario um, you know, government chose back in the day to come up with the Health Professions Act, which was to try and standardize um, the public's understanding of who is responsible for what, um, along with making sure that the professions that support um, the healthcare system in British Columbia are all singing off of a similar song sheet. So, and by that I mean that you know you've got the Health Professions Act. Uh, back in the day, it used to be that that. Uh, a number of professions, such as the physicians, nurses, etc., pharmacists, had their own acts. And of course, uh, depending upon what profession it was, you had different scopes of practice. Um, one of the things, as acuity levels of patients has increased, there's been a, 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 you know scopes of practice overlap. The things that uh, that may may have only been uh, allowed to legally occur by one profession, you know, in order to, to to develop this whole concept of direct patient care, is to allow people to to sort of share in activities. So, for instance, you know, manual therapy. If we use that as an example, you've got PTs that do that. You've got RMTs. You've got 
some OTs, uh, depending upon the environment they're working in. So that whole, you know, the whole issue of scope of practice, it's not a, you know, it's not a finite list that only I get to do or only they get to do. It's it's a number of activities. And, and in fact, I think what is an important message for people to understand is that the scope of practice, although it's you know, it's it, it's legislated by government. Uh, the regulator then is responsible for making sure that people work within that scope that government has set aside. And then, you know, as as practitioners, expected the practitioners are expected to understand what they can do. And you know, and really, at the end of the day, to understand the the, the competence that they have in doing these things. As professionals, you know, we're all expected to, you know, we, we have to have a certain level of education. We have to have a certain understanding of what we can and cannot do. And so, you know, there's a reliance on a number of players from government to the regulators, to the association, to the practitioners themselves around that right. scope. I always like to describe the scope of practice like a box. And, uh, and so that, you know, you, you try to hit all four corners of the box and depending upon what sort of um, practice environment you're in, you may be able to hit all four corners of that. When you when you graduate from your program initially, um, you know, you're probably in just one little corner of that bo- that big box. Um, what you never want to do is you never want to get outside the box. You get outside the box, then you're, we're talking about working outside of the scope uh-huh. of practice. So I think if you kind of put in the context of here's the box I get to you know, function within, um, and I can you know hit all four corners of that box. If I, if I choose, I may only work to three quarters of the box. I may only work to half of the box, depending upon you know the 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 uh, the knowledge I have, the education I have, uh, the the uh, types of patients that I I I I, I treat. Um, all of those things, I think you know, will influence on whether you ever get to hit all four corners of the box. And if you do, if you are hitting all four corners of that box, you know, you always have to be cautious of not getting outside of that. And that's where, you know, and I think that's where people struggle understanding they would like a list of what's within the box. And that list doesn't well, actually that's, exist. That's my that, next that, question is, is there, so you've defined scope as as a as a box and as an area within which you work as a professional and and it makes sense to me that a person would based on that definition want a list of things that they couldn't couldn't do why is the list problematic well i think the the list is problematic because there's so many things that influence what would be on that list so instead of instead of having a list the you know it's it's uh, more the responsibility of the practitioner to um to understand you know through through the guidance and the guidance provided by things such as an interjurisdictional competency profile the foundational guide to knowledge which is what the um schools are required to adhere to in in preparing individuals to become registered massage therapists. And then, of course, you know, the whole piece around, you know, how the college, uh, you know, uh, works around making sure that people are working within that box. And that's where, you know, the college comes up with advisory statements saying that, you know, you, 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 you're able to do these things. A good example is group, group therapy. The college has said that group therapy is not within the scope of practice um, of a massage therapist. Now, you know, we can argue whether it is or it isn't, but, you know, at, at this particular t- juncture in time, uh, the college has determined that. And so, um, 
you know, it's those, that kind of guidance that that kind of keeps people safe within that box. And and when people are unsure of that, that's when they, you know, in 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 most situations with all, with the, with most of the health professions is, you know, the colleges, the regular regulators. Um, it's incumbent upon them to provide that level of guidance to say, okay, this is, you know, if you're struggling with what's in the box, ask us and we'll tell you whether that's inside right. the box. And so the scope of practice. Could it be considered a living document, one that you can adjust as things shift and change? Well, I think I think what you're seeing nationally, and I was at a um, a conference last uh, fall in in Ottawa, where um, a workforce planning conference with Health Canada, and one of the things that's happening, uh, you know, worldwide actually, is the fact that as acuity levels increase with uh, with patients, with uh, technology, technological changes that are being uh, introduced into uh, healthcare, with the um, the issue of of shortages of of healthcare professionals, uh, and and particularly um, you know areas such as physiotherapists, um, physicians, uh, nurses. There's um, you know, you're going to see more and more overlap, if you like, around scopes of practice. So, so, so there's, you know, there's, there's going to be that constant um, need for anyone that's practicing in a, a health profession to stay apprised of what's within that scope. And, and, you know, and, and as things change, um, those parties who have been um, invested in developing a scope of practice for a particular um a profession, it's going to be incumbent upon them to have those discussions. So vis-a-vis, if there's things that, you know, if we take massage therapy as an example, that massage therapists believe they should be allowed to do. So if I, you know, if I look at Ontario versus British Columbia, the legislation is very similar. The language within the legislation is very similar. However, in Ontario, with additional education, RMTs are able to uh-huh. do acupuncture in British Columbia. That's not allowed at this point. Um, you know, there's, you know, I think it, it, it can be argued that, you know, as, as an example, that maybe there's an opportunity for that dialogue to take place. And so that's where, you know, scopes of practice don't change overnight. And, and because scopes of practice ultimately um, are determined by government, um, even though it may be, you know, everyone may come to an agreement, those who are practicing and say, you know, this would really be beneficial if those in government decide that that's not, you know, not not where they want to go at this particular point in time. Right. It may not change. But, you know, scopes of practice can be flexible. I think that, you know, as we drive towards more and more patient directed care um, and, 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 and having, you know, a healthcare delivery that is patient-centered, um, I think you're going to see more and more of that dialogue right. being required. And you're going to see that scopes of practice really need to be flexible um, because, you know, as, 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 as human beings, every one of us has our own needs, right? Particularly when it comes to our health and well-being. And so, um, you know, to, to, one shouldn't think of a scope of practice as a static a document or 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 a um, you know it's it's not they shouldn't be they're not set in stone. Uh, I have two questions that come out of that. Uh, what what you were just saying. One is you were mentioning there's a, a space for dialogue to happen around scope of practice. 
where or when do those dialogues happen and with who, which parties, say you're an interested massage therapist, you have a particular space within which you want to help define scope or broaden it out and see whether or not uh, this particular thing you're interested in is within scope. Where, where do these dialogues happen and how would a massage therapist who is interested in it be a part of said dialogues? Right. Well, one of the things I think that, that a lot of people misunderstand is that it's not the regulator's job to um, define the scope of practice. The scope of practice is, is you know, determined by the legislation the government put into place. The, the regulator's job is to make sure that people are adhering to that uh, to the scope of practice that was de- determined in law. And I think a lot of people, you know, believe that it's the regulator's job to lobby government to, you know, if there's if there's an interest in a change. And that's not the regulator's role. The it's That's really the profession's opportunity to open that dialogue with government and to provide the evidence as to why government should review, you know, the current scope of uh, a current scope of practice and see if there needs to be revisions to that scope of practice. So that starts with, you know, organizations such as ours, the RMTBC, to uh, to have, you know, where we're members. And that was one of the reasons why we held that scope of practice meeting, because I, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that, you know, one of the it's difficult to advance a scope of practice, if you like. Um, or advance the profession as a whole if there's not if there's a lack of clarity around who who's who in the zoo if you like as far as who's responsible for the scope of practice and how does it come about so you know as as you know uh, in attending that meeting um, you know I think one of the key key um, elements of, uh, of of our meeting on March the 16th was just to describe for everyone you know, the responsibilities that all of these different stakeholders have in that scope of practice. So, you know, and I think associations such as the, as the RMTBC hold a significant place in opening that dialogue with government around things such as, um, as expanding scopes. Um, and of course, none of that will happen without proper research and right. evidence so to support really, the position. Really simply and that's then where scope has a, has a number of players. Government is one. The College of Massage Therapy is another, and then the broader public of massage therapists, including the RMTBC, is is an, another player. And then the government is is essentially the person who decides what scope is ultimately, and they rely on the college to apply that definition to massage therapists within BC. Is that correct? That's right, and 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 I think another important element that 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 um, people may not be aware of is. Not only is it those people that you mentioned, Damien, but also other healthcare practitioners. They're also key stakeholders in if so, if one is looking at expanding a scope of practice, and particularly in today's world, because of the fact, as I'd said earlier, with overlaps of scopes of practice, um, you know, and the whole issue of working in a, a multidisciplinary. Um, practices, it's, it's, it's more important than ever that that dialogue include, you know, so for massage therapists mm-hmm. include chiropractors, PTs, OTs, um, you know, and, and others because, because of that overlap and because of the fact that, uh, you know, there, there's, there's similarities. So it's really communication intensive. Yeah. And, Absolutely. and there's many, many players involved in scope. Anybody who's 
part of the health profession, any health profession then has an interest, even if they don't have a direct interest in other health professional scope, it influences their practice is regardless is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I well, I think it 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 it, it has the op, there's there's the ability for mm-hmm. it to impact their practice, and um, you know, and more and more as we as we move towards you know multidisciplinary um, you know healthcare delivery. Right. Okay. So sorry about the the gap there. <laughs> I thought, it's funny. I thought you were gonna uh, <laughs> expand on that answer a little bit more. So I, I was looking at my notes and going, okay. Where are we going from here, Gord? You you mentioned evidence based, uh, and the evidence based research, and and I know massage therapy in BC is really looking towards having different modalities that they support be really evidence supported, evidence based supported, and 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 rooted in science, so that we're not doing woo woo massage therapy and and calling down the special massage gods to cure people and that kind of stuff. Uh, the evidence-based piece, how does that relate to scope of practice? Is it directly, is our scope directly influenced by this evidence-based model? Yeah, I think, I think, and probably should probably use the, the, the new phrase okay. evidence informed. That's the, that's the flavor for this week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, one of the, uh, one of the pieces around all of this, of course, is that um, you, there has to be evidence that, that, is able to support the you know the, the facts at the end of the day that you know in you know if you're going to develop a curriculum for instance um, for a, for any profession whether it's in healthcare or outside of healthcare you kind of need to know what what is it what are you know what's the the skills knowledge values all of those things you know the competence um, that an individual is required to have in order to be a um, a uh, regulated professional and and to be able to practice in a safe, uh-huh. competent, and ethical manner, so that you know that you can't achieve that without having um, the evidence to say that you know that this this is what we you know this is why we are doing what we're doing. This is why the education is required for this. This is what that education looks like. All that kind of evidence needs to be had in order to you know look at. Um, you know, if you were looking at introducing something into the, uh, you know, into an expanded scope of practice, for instance, you know, the evidence would have to be there to to support that. So if we use, you know, such as again in Ontario, the issue of, of acupuncture, because I, I just find that's a, probably an easy, uh, an easy uh, piece to uh, reflect on is the fact that, um, you know, the ministry and and others would would uh, expect that there was, you know, evidence to show that that was something that would benefit the public ultimately by having RMT practitioners right. being able to do acupuncture. So, you know, and, and, and without that, if we were just to go and say, oh, by the way, this week I would like to be able to do acupuncture, well, that, you know, I, I think most people would say based right. on and what? And so I would imagine the acupuncture piece that came out of Ontario had to have individuals who are interested in doing acupuncture, advocating for it to be a part of scope in order for that to be added to the scope within, within Ontario. So then you would need somebody in BC, if we're using acupuncture, who is interested in acupuncture to advocate for its use within massage therapy for that to be part of our scope, say, if, if that was 
say there's some some individual out there who 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 wishes that they they would have to come to the RMTBC to start dialogue or the college who who would that that person go to initially? So the first so the first the first step would be to for the profession through you know organizations such as the association to start to do the research around what those additional um, competencies um, would look like, um, what they should look like. I mean, if we, you know, again, but going back to Ontario and the acupuncture piece, I mean, there's limitations. I mean, RMTs that uh, provide acupuncture treatment as an RMT have limitations as to what they can do versus an acupuncturist in the the province of Ontario. and this is not to say that I am an advocate for acupuncture. We're just using it as an example. Yeah, an example. And, you know, I, I'll, and I'll give you an example from the world of licensed practical nursing. I mean, there was uh, back uh, a few years ago, um, LPNs um, were not able to give influenza vaccines uh, to patients without a uh, physician's order or under the supervision right. of a registered nurse. Even though, you know, and, and so what was happening is you had physicians who were um, delegating, who, you know, a physician can delegate to anybody they wish, uh, including their medical office assistant, if they so choose. But, you know, having having said that, you know, most of us will probably recall not that many years ago, there was the whole fear of a pandemic coming uh, into North America. And so, you know, there was a keen interest by a number of parties, both the profession itself um, other healthcare professionals, uh, employers such as the health authorities, to say, well, how would we ever deal with a pandemic if you know we're going to need individuals who are going to be able to um, provide uh, influenza vaccinations? And in fact, um, may come as a surprise, but at one point during that whole scenario, government was actually looking at whether they may need to even use veterinary assistance to provide uh, influenza vaccination to uh, to um, the public because of a shortage of, 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 of po- a possible shortage. You know, if, if people become ill, um, well, obviously they're not going to be able right. to function in, in, in their role as a healthcare provider. So, you know, given, given that there was that need, given that there was an interest on the part of the profession um, by the LPNs in doing so, um, given that the... Um, government was interested in dealing with uh, that possible scenario, uh, it came to be that uh, LPNs were in fact entitled to uh, uh, pr- uh, give uh, influenza vaccinations, but only under in, within limitations. And one of those limitations for them was the fact that you could not give an, uh, a flu vaccination to someone under the age of five years of age of, or younger, and that in right. order to do that, you had to take additional education. So, you know, so there's a a number of different pieces that even though the scope may expand, that expansion also comes with additional responsibilities vis-a-vis additional education, additional practice supports, so on and so forth. You wouldn't want to have expanded capabilities without having the right knowledge behind it. Right. And that's and that's why, you know, when I say that, you know, that scope of practice box, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, depending upon what your education is and when it was, um, what kind of, uh, you know, continuing education you've taken, uh, what kind of practice setting you find yourself uh, working in. All of those things influence what each and everyone's scope of practice uh, 
may right. look like so, um, from an individual we're talking basis. scope of practice, and we still haven't really defined it as it relates to having a baseline understanding. So for me, when I was at the scope of practice meeting you know, on March 16th, it, what became really clear was one real key piece of scope is it's a it's a baseline, it's an entry level to practice orientation around understanding who you are as that particular professional within that uh, that particular scope. So it gives you a sense of where you start when you enter the profession. Is that is that a correct way of looking at scope? Um, well, it's actually, I would say that as, as it is today, it's, it's at entry to practice and even at the advanced level. Um, so it includes it, it, the, the top end of it has, has the, the capacity to include advanced practice modalities. But I guess my understanding of the verbiage of it was that it gives you a sense of where you, where you start. Yeah. So within, within, you know, if we go back to that, uh, that, that, you know, that box, if you like somebody who is, you know, at an entry to practice, you know, when they first come into a profession, they're probably, you know, they're not going to be fit, hitting all four corners of that box. As you, as you gain knowledge, as you gain experience, as you take additional education, um, you mm -hmm. are in fact advancing your practice, if you like. And so that's what allows you to kind of get to those four corners. So, so the legislation is there to say, this is the box you have, how you get to each of those right. corners and there's it's a, going to be influenced by a number there's of a things, component as we've said before. So it's not limited to just your just at, at the entry to practice. Yeah, so, uh, so scope um, then is not as simple as, as just it's an entry level to practice definition. There's there's more to it than that. There's there's like what you're saying the the advanced practice or the the growing oh, of the profession within scope. It's not it's not a simple definition. It's a it's a three or four lines of of diction but there's when you start to dive into it it's it's actually not a simplistic thing it it it, it takes a little bit of time and effort to really get your head around it oh absolutely i mean it, and you know and, and as i said earlier in earlier in our discussions today is that you know this is this is an issue that um i think every profession has struggled with and the individuals that practice within those professions. Um, you know, a good example is uh, psychiatric nursing. You know, the college itself, the regulator back in uh, 2013, uh, 2014, actually held a forum similar to what we did on the 16th of March because of the fact that um, they wanted to make sure that um, their registrants were clear with what the scope of practice of a psychiatric nurse was in the province of British Columbia. And so, you know, it, it's something that happens all the time. Uh, it's it's influenced by a number of things. It's influenced by government's uh, wishes on how they, how healthcare is delivered. Um, it's, it, 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 it's, it, you know, the, the patients that uh, one deals with, their acuity levels increasing and, and their needs expanding issues around uh, labor shortages yeah, all of those things have an ability to influence, and so so that's why it's not a static piece, and it's not and it's not a defined list because you know we could we could define a list of all the activities today and tomorrow that could change significantly. 
you know, give it's not something you, you learn in school. It's not, it's not a baseline that you would learn in school and never revisit. It's something that you should be revisiting constantly Absolutely. every year Absolutely. as a professional. Absolutely. And if you're not, and if you're not clear with what's in it, then, you know, you should be asking your, your peers and, you know, and, 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 and approaching the regulator and saying, excuse me, is this, you know, are, I, I, I'm wondering if I am right. legally able to do this particular activity. And that's where, you know, you, you'll find that um, regulators, by and large, will provide things such as practice guidelines or practice directives that, you know, keep the registrants safe um, and, 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 and provide that clarity as to when you're getting close to walking outside of that, bo- that box we call a scope of practice. Right. Yeah, because when I was practicing as a massage therapist, I learned of scope somewhere in my education. I got out into the world and it fled my brain. I, I wasn't staying abreast of what it should be or what it could be. Uh, does the RMTBC take a little bit of responsibility for helping individuals re-educate themselves around scope? And, and if so, how would an individual like myself who wasn't very responsible around finding out about scope, how would they increase their knowledge? What would be the best yeah, way? So, yeah. so, you know, so, so for instance, if I look at some of the activities that, um, that Alison Chernoff is involved in on a, on a, a day-to-day basis is that when a question like that comes into the office, you know, Alison will refer that individual, um, to the, uh, to both the, um, you know, the regulation um, and, and the definitions that are contained within that. Um, and then also to the college's website, um, if there's specific um, guidance that the college has provided for. So, you know, for instance, around, uh, you know, yoga uh, within the context of massage therapy or group exercise within the context of uh, massage therapy, there's, you know, the college has provided uh, uh, advisory statements in that. And so, you know, so we'll refer individuals to that. Um, beyond that, um, you know, we'll advise the individual to contact the college directly for that level of clarity. What uh, I have a question around that particular piece of it, because the college we rely on for basically implementing whether or not this particular thing that we're doing fits within scope. Some of the time it feels fairly arbitrary as to what they decide fits within or doesn't fit within. And I know that massage therapists often have frustration around that piece of it. And so two questions. One, the college we assume is very aware of what scope is and how to implement the practice of keeping us within those bounds. Uh, is, Is that a correct assumption? Is my first question from your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the uh, CMTBC, but I can tell you that, um, you know, from my experience as a regulator in nursing is that, you know, one of the reasons why you have practitioners on um, on the board of the, of, of the regulators, you know, the regulatory college, uh, why you have practitioners from the profession involved in uh, committee work, um, you know, particularly, uh, you know, quality assurance and, and registration um, is the fact that those people are seen as a resource when that, those kind of issues come forward. So, you know, so when a, when a, um, 
when a decision's made as to what is and what, what is not within the context of the scope of practice, one should expect that that's mm-hmm. being done in a uh, consultative and collaborative fashion, um, you know, within that organization so that, you know, so that the practitioners who uh, represent the profession within that organize within the regulatory college have been uh, involved in those discussions that the individuals who are ultimately um, assigned to deliver the message um, are receiving that having had a um, a robust discussion uh, around that. And, and, and in many cases, um, you know, and again, I can't speak on behalf of the CMTBC or its processes, but, you know, the my experience has been that, you know, again, that none of this should be done in isolation. There's there's a, there's a need to have dialogue and um and collaboration, and, and that collaboration can include, you know, discussions with the association, discussions with uh, with even other health right. professions around um, around that, you know, so that so that people are informed. I mean, it's 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 not a, it's not an it shouldn't be an insular um, activity. Right. So you're not an island as an individual who has no. an interest. You no. can and, and, uh, go and, to, and to places like the heart. Yeah, so you can go to the RMTBC or an association like the RMTBC for help with the discussion. You can uh, discuss with individuals who are part of the college. It's not a process that is, if somebody decides that it's not within scope or they don't see it within scope, there's still room for discussion around it. It's not a hard stamp that you can never do this thing. No, but I think, you know, but again, you know, the expectation should be that if you're going to look at something, you know, like say expanding one scope of practice, um, that, you know, you've done the research and and have the evidence to support that this may be of benefit to the public and, you know, and that government and the regulator and and other, um, and and, and in fact, even other health professions um, would come on board and support that. So that was my next question. It was something, and you've answered it, is you as an individual who has an interest in a particular modality, you're better served when there's a lot of research and evidence behind that particular modality. Absolutely. And, and, you know, know, I think the expectation over the last number of years, particularly within healthcare, is that, you know, evidence-informed practice is where everyone has gone. Um, you know, and I think that that's that's certainly um, a requirement. Um, no, we, I mean, I, you know, we we've we've seen the changes that have happened within the healthcare sector. We've seen the changes that happen within the acuity levels of of our patients, and so uh, you know, in order to provide uh, the, you know the best of patient centered care, you need to have the you know you need to be evidence informed to make sure that you know this this there is benefit to this that it's not just you know we're not just put, pulling this out because you know it becomes a flavor of the day. Yeah, it makes good sense as a as a monitored health profession to have that be behind you. So absolutely, I think we've given a real multifaceted look at scope. I wanted to get back to that scope of practice meeting just a little bit before we end, uh, because it was a really, it was a really good day of discussion. It was be- mediated beautifully by. Yeah. So we had uh, Stacy Holloway from the Holloway group, um, along with, uh, three other facilitators that work with Stacy. Um, 
Yeah, they did a great. They did a great job, by the way. I, I thought uh, the mediation was top notch, and it kept things flowing, and and we had lots of good discussion. And and some people, as as the day went by, found it a redundant process in some ways. And I, I kind of disagreed with that assessment. I thought that there was there needed to be lots of space for discussion and approaching the the idea from a number of different angles and, and re-evaluating throughout the day where we were at as it related to that particular idea because it is it's a simple set of words but it's not really a simple thing to get your head around as a as a practitioner or a person who's interested in scope of practice within a profession so i found the the mediation really really useful i was wondering gordon what your greatest takeaway from that day was yeah, well, I think that, you know, one of the things for me is, and, and in fact, you know, I I, I, I held a similar, um, when I was at the College of LPNs, I held a similar event because of the fact that um, back in, in the day, you know, for with LPNs as an example, nobody actually knew what an LPN could or couldn't do. You know, the educators were confused as to, you know, whether they should be covering off on a variety of competencies. Employers were not sure whether, uh, you know, depending upon which LPN walked down to a unit, whether they could do these tasks and, uh, and assignments or whether they couldn't. And so in order to get that clarity, it was important to get everybody on the same page. And so, you know, I think for me uh, on the 16th, I think it was um, – it was interesting to see, um, as you've stated, that, you know, people came to the meeting, I think, with a variety of different levels of knowledge of what the scope of practice is, what it, you know, how it came to be. From from my perspective, I took it away as uh, as a as certainly a uh, the next step based on that 2015 summit that the association had held. I think it was a, a a, uh, you know, it was it was it was a good next step because I think it got everybody to start to have a better appreciation of what the uh, current scope of practice is, who's responsible for what, because I think, you know, from time to time there's been uh, misunderstandings and, and in fact, you know, some some blame being laid on on variety of different parties as to why things haven't advanced or are, are, are not advancing. And so I think from that perspective alone, I, I, I got, you know, I, I, I saw some great value in the fact that, uh, that people actually had the ability to have that dialogue, were able to uh, do that, have that dialogue in a respectful and meaningful way. Um, I think there were some learnings that came out of that for a number of the participants. I think it was, uh, you know, good to see that we had a very good cross section of practitioners. I mean, we had everyone from, you know, from, you know, newbies, if you like, to seasoned vets and everyone in between. Um, you know, along with educators and clinic owners. And they each brought, you know, I I think a different perspective and it was good to finally uh, capture all of that. So, you know, I think just on that note alone, I think there was real value to, uh, to, to having the, having had that meeting. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. It felt like uh, there was a really good cross section and you've mentioned you're also going to bring a similar set of information out into other parts of the province. Is that correct? Yeah. So so what we're doing now is we're compiling the information that was uh, gleaned from the March 16th meeting. That'll be coming out into a report that'll be shared with the participants, make sure that we captured everything. Um, then from there, 
Uh, we'll be going on, uh, Brenda and I are planning on doing a road show across the province in uh, some key areas. The, 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 where, the, where, where we'll be going has yet to be determined, but certainly we will be doing that. And the intent of that will be to share the report and have uh, uh, almost mini sessions such as the one on the 16th with, uh, with interested uh, practitioners in, in those particular areas, just to see, uh, again, what they're, you know, share, share the findings from, the, from the, the large meeting, along with capturing their understanding and, and their, um, their, you know, what, what may be helpful to them in, in, uh, in this whole issue around scope of practice. Because as, as I say, I think, you know, depending upon what your practice setting is, uh, you know, if you're working in a rural or remote area, your resources are probably limited, so you know your your um, your interest in what is within that scope and your ability to deliver uh, treatments in in a, an appropriate fashion within the the legal context that you are allowed. I think people need to understand that and know that, and and so that you know I think uh, having the, the ability to have that ongoing dialogue will go uh, a long ways to getting everybody onto uh, the same page. Right. So then you have those those roadshow pieces, is there any further ideas as to where to take this information? Is it just good information as it sits and, and that's kind of where it's going to lie? Or is, is there uh, another step? No, I think this is sort of, yeah, I, th- I would say that this is, you know, there's been some, you know, in- interest in for quite some time in, you know, issues around advanced practice uh uh, areas or, or, you know, given that you're not allowed to use the, the uh, you know, the terminology of specialization, if, if people have a focus in their practice, um, you know, I think the, this this is a good grounding for those further discussions, you know, and those further discussions include uh, the regulator and uh, importantly, the, uh, the the government. So, you know, so I think all of this, all of this capturing of this data will be, you know, a back back to that evidence informed piece that you know we're we're doing the research now we're 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 doing the findings as to you know where people are at um and you know and so, and out of that can come a lot of opportunities even if the if the scope of practice doesn't expand per se i think it allows people to have a better appreciation of what the opportunities are with even in within the context of the current scope of practice so so you've taken the the scope of practice you've pulled together a number of pieces of information you're going to be sharing that with the broader public you're going to be using this set of information and data to help build a future for massage therapy around the idea of advanced practice modalities or advanced practice ideas and that's okay. been in play for a while now in terms of uh, what do we as massage therapists do with ourselves as we begin to build knowledge around particulars and how do we state that to the public, which is a very interesting and full, fully on its own hours and hours worth of conversation. Um, but the baseline for the scope and the information you've gathered from this last meeting and from many, many meetings before that is essentially you're going to use it as a space to, again, make the profession more robust, more comprehensive, and allow people within the field to be innovators and and to be able to stay interested in their profession in a way where they can pursue their interests as health professionals. 
Yeah, I'd say probably not so much in uh, on the issue of innovators, but more you know to be the best practitioners that that um, that they can be. I mean, to you know to understand that there's you know a, a, an important role for them within the healthcare sector. There's uh, you know an, an increasing oppor- uh, there are increasing opportunities for for um, RMTs to be able to be involved in the delivery of healthcare services. Um, you know, as a, 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 you know, use an example of you know there's very li- there's very few RMTs that are working in acute care facilities, as an example. Um, you know, and so yeah. you know having having a, um, a a better understanding of the scope of practice and having that information, um, not sh- you know sharing it not only within the profession but being able to share that with others, um, can open up a lot of other opportunities, right? I mean, it's it's difficult for anyone to embrace someone coming into uh, um, you know the sector if they don't really understand what it is an RMT is all about, right? And so, you know, so I think there's and, and that may mean that, you know, the, the current scope of practice statement as it is in legislation today, it, that may not change. But but having a better, um, you know, having more evidence uh, that provides that, you know, these are the things that uh, RMTs are able to do legally. These this is the competence they bring to the profession. This is the education they have. This is the uh, you know education that it that uh, increases their knowledge. All of those things you know can 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 help to open up doors that you know at this point may not seem to be open. So, right. so lots of space to discuss and continue to move forward as far as as far as the massage therapy profession goes yeah i think this is a a dialogue that this is a dialogue that is uh you know that should will continue i think you know much like all the other professions it's uh you know every these things don't go away i mean there's uh as i say you know the canadian um council on uh healthcare planning they uh they themselves have uh you know, I would say at, at every conference there are um, uh, individuals speaking about scopes of practice, uh, the importance of scopes of practice, the importance of of understanding each other's scopes of practice. So, you know, this is all all good work, and um, and it's 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 good work that's not being done uh, just by you know the RMTBC. There's other organizations doing this, both regulators and associations. Um, and ed- educators even um, within the other health professions. So, you know, I think I think what we're really doing here is we're we're joining the the uh, the throngs of others who've kind of you know gone down this road as well. Um, and so, you know, it, it it it's a good it's it's a good activity. It's it's something at the at the very least. I think it it helps to inform. Um, individuals who are in their particular profession with what their responsibilities are, who's responsible for what, and how they can be an active participant in that. Nice. Well, hopefully that helps a number of individuals out there, whether you're a massage therapist or a non-massage therapist, a patient, a client, another interested health profession. Hopefully this helps you listeners figure out what the massage therapists of British Columbia and Canada are looking at as it relates to scope. And we didn't define uh, scope necessarily from the definition perspective, but we broadened out 
how we were looking at it and a number of other pieces, which is, so I think it's been a, a really useful discussion between Gordon and myself for, for those of you who are interested in, in figuring out scope of practice from a massage therapy perspective, especially here in the province of BC. Thank you, Gordon, for all your time this morning. And hopefully you have a great day and week. What's what's down the road for Gordon McDonald in terms of when the scope of practice stuff is is wrapped up? What's what's next for the RMTBC in terms of this year? Is there any highlights? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think this is a, you know, this is a, uh, this is a significant project. Um, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's something that um, um, I think the expectations based on the 2015 summit um, require. So, you know, this is, this is going to be probably a year long uh, project as we, you know, go and capture more, more data. Um, I think, you know, the, the evidence that comes out of this will drive, you um, will drive some of the educational opportunities that we're going to be delivering over the next little while through our education days. I think we've got four of those planned uh, two days, um, two day sessions uh, throughout the province. So that's, so that's, you know, going to be tied up with this as well as we're going to be sharing the findings um, of this report uh, with individuals that participate in those events as well. Um, and, you know, I think, I think ultimately, uh, you know, there'll be ongoing, you know, we're hoping to have ongoing dialogue and sharing this information with, uh, with the college as well. So that, you know, we can have, uh, some robust discussions around, um, you know, where things are at from that perspective, because I think it's important for, you know, the college in, in order to be effective to, uh, to know, you know, what's the, what's the knowledge base of the, of the folks who they are responsible for regulating. So a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of good things that will come out over the next year. Um, and um, again, this is, you know, this is sort of the, 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 we, we've built, we built the foundation in, uh, at the summit, or at least we laid that we laid the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the sand, we've started to build the foundation now with this meeting and subsequent meetings. And then, you know, hopefully we'll be able to start framing the house, if you like. Yeah. Gordon McDonald, king of metaphors. <laughs> Um, May 5th is the symposium. Can you just give us a little, little blip for that? Sure. So uh, we're looking forward to the aging population symposium on May the 5th. Um, we're going to have uh, Lorimer Mosley will be coming up to talk about uh, pain science. We have Isabel McKenzie, who is the uh, senior seniors advocate for the province of British Columbia. She's going to share with us uh, her insights on, um, over the last few years in that role, as well as uh, her uh, role previous to that working in long-term care. Um, because again, you know, we have an aging population in British Columbia. And so, uh, you know, and I think RMTs again have an, uh, uh, you know, that opens up a lot of opportunity for them. We'll have Kareem Khan coming as well to speak about uh, his involvement with with seniors and, and, and the delivery of care with seniors. Uh, we also have a pa- uh, we're having a panel discussion and the panel discussion I think will be very very beneficial because um, we've got uh, a couple of RMTs who are going to talk about their experience in from an educational perspective and a delivery perspective um, 
of things such as uh, working with Alzheimer's patients, um, working in a long-term care facility. We have a physician who whose um, focus in his practice is working with uh, the aged and working in a long-term care facility and working with RMT. So he's going to share that experience. And we also have the head of the BC Care Providers Association, website, yes. who are the folks who um, represent the majority of of uh, residential care and care facilities in the province of BC, and he'll be sharing his perspective on the needs and wants uh, within the sector, which I think, again, um, will be interesting information to share with uh, with the participants. Um, and, and, and again, you know, the, the following day, uh, Dr. Mosley will be doing a pain science um, workshop. So you know, I think we've 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 uh, we're just about sold out. We've got about uh, ten spaces left. So if people haven't signed up, um, I'd suggest they do that soon. Um, and I think we'll have, you can sign up on the website, or you can call the office, and we'd be more than happy to uh, to sign you up. And it's open to all health professions. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Great. These symposiums are excellent. I've been to a number of them over the years, and they're always super interesting. The RMTBC spares no expense in getting real quality people to speak at these symposiums. Lormer Mosley, I don't know him personally, but I've been doing a little bit of research on him, and he is at the top end of pain science in the world. So if you're interested in what he has to say, he, as a keynote, is going to be an amazing resource for, for those of you interested in that space. And for those of you who are practitioners out there looking to expand your practice, the aging population is growing in our country and in our province, and it's a really expanding space for a person to build a profession as a massage therapist. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of talk about that at this symposium as well. My next podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Andrew Nemeth, who is going to be part of the panel, and he has worked for 20 years in care facilities. So if you're wanting to learn more about that, we'll have that coming up soon as far as the podcast goes. Thank you, Gordon, today. Excellent, informative, and we'll get you, maybe we'll get you and Brenda together one of these days on a podcast. That would be, there we go. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs>